Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Well, good morning. As Pastor Craig said, um, baby Wyatt is somewhere in the house. I think he's going to the grocery store right now, getting some lunch. Uh, had the whole, you know, Simba ah, thing planned, but well, anyone who has kids knows that they have their own schedule. Um, really excited to, to be with you and to speak today for those watching online, for those in the room. Uh, this is a message actually that I was supposed to speak on the 13th. Um, but again, baby Wyatt had a different schedule uh, than us, and so I'm excited to get to to share it. And it's actually when Pastor Craig was he was going to be gone on vacation, and it's good to have Pastor Craig and Pastor Shanda back. Come on, we love our pastors. Um, we said, hey, just just pray and you know share something that's on your heart. And there was there was just this one message that I had preached before, which if you know me a little bit, I got some weird struggle thing with like, ah, it's got to be different all the all the time and fresh and new. And anyone I talk to has preached like way longer than me, like you're just being a goof, stop that. Um, but the message today is actually a message I preached for a friend about a year ago. And and since I spoke that message, I it, there's just been something that the God has continually gone back to and the Holy Spirit has drawn me back to this message to, to convict me, uh, to help change me, to bring encouragement to me, to bring direction when I really don't know where to go or what to do as I found myself a lot in the last year. And I'm sure many of you in the same way where you ask yourself, what, 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 do, I, what, what, what do I do and, and how do we pray and what do we pray for and what's... Like, what's next? Like, how, how do I respond to these situations? All great questions. And I think this passage today, my hope and my prayer is that it would provide you a little bit of guidance. Hopefully, because it's the word of God, it brings a little bit of conviction as the word does. Not condemnation, not shame, but can encourage us to live the life that Jesus really died for us to live. So we'll be in the book of Philippians this morning. It's really great. Short little book. If you haven't read it before, I want to encourage you, uh, pick it up and read it. And if you can, take 45 minutes, do it in a sitting and read it down. Uh, there's just something beautiful when we can read uh, big portions of Scripture. And I want to let you know that we're kind of jumping right into the middle of this book. There's a lot going on, so I'm going to do my best to give a little bit of context. But there's a really obscure passage um, that I think can bring a lot of life and hope. To you and me. If you're a person like myself that struggles with my old sin nature, my brokenness, my mouth moving before my brain gets a chance to inform it, uh, a lot of those types of things. There's a lot of humanity in these verses we're going to look at that gives me and my hope and prayer is you a lot of help. And so we're going to get in that. And, I, and again, I would encourage you, take 30 minutes today, pause the Netflix, once the kids are to sleep, whatever it is, Grab your Bible. Take 30 minutes. I did this last night just to kind of one more time before prepping and just read the book of Philippians. It's a fantastic book and has a lot of insight for where we are today as the Apostle Paul wrote. A little bit of background of the book. This book is written by a guy named Paul. Paul was an apostle. Uh, he grew up in a very religious Jewish upbringing. He was very zealous um, persecuted the church, tried to stop everything that Jesus did, uh, had a radical encounter with Jesus, changed his life forever, and then he went on to build the very thing that he was before trying to tear down. And this actually led, 
following the call of God very clearly, the call and the plan that God had for Paul led him into a prison. And this is where he's writing this letter. Paul's writing to a church that he planted about a decade before. We see this as we read through Acts that Paul and Timothy actually went to Philippi and they plant the church in Philippi that he's writing to about a decade later. What's up, Anson? Good to see you, bud. That's my neighbor. None of you guys know that, but good to see you. Um, <laughs> he planted this, and there he's writing to a church that's actually experiencing a lot of turmoil. You see, the city of Philippi was a Roman colony, one of the first a lot of scholars believe, and it was actually highly populated with retired military people. And so if you know anything about Roman culture, this would have meant they have a lot of privileges, a lot of rights. This is probably a pretty wealthy place. And a decade ago, Paul goes and he plants this church and things are going well. Although a decade after planting it, much like Paul's situation, the people that lived in that place were starting to confront and come up against persecution due to the faith that they then claimed. What do you mean by that? That meant like, no one would buy from their stand, that their ability to work, their ability to live safely, their ability for due process in the justice systems, all of these things were happening to a people that up until this point never really had to deal with that. To a people that actually had a lot of privilege, to a people that had a lot of safety. They lived in a very wealthy place. And the purpose Paul is writing this is his hope and his heart for these people is that in the midst of opposition, as he in prison feels and he is aware now that they are experiencing in Philippi, Paul is writing to a church to paint a picture, so to say, for them of what it looks like to follow Jesus, of what their lives should look like in the midst of persecution as followers of Jesus. I'm really thankful for this for Paul. He doesn't just kind of say, hey, you gotta be good and do this. He's like, let me paint you a picture. And the book of Philippians is like a canvas. And I've, I was really skilled like Davina Hunt. I would have a canvas up here and I would be drawing and preaching at the same time. Uh, but as my daughter, who's two and a half years, let me go, no daddy, broken. When I try and color on her page, that's not my gifting. But Paul, he's writing, he's, he's trying to paint a picture. He's saying, let me give you an example to follow because I'm not with you. I get it. Jesus isn't walking around you in flesh right now. So it can be a little bit confusing sometimes to know exactly what to do. So let me help you, church, that I love dearly. See, the culture of Philippi was one of prestige and high reputation privilege, largely due to their colonial status. And Paul is writing to a group of believers who for the first time in their lives are experiencing challenges they have never had to face with their social status, their privilege, on account of their decision to follow Jesus. I think that's important. It wasn't on account of their, their arrogance. It wasn't on account of them being rude. It wasn't on account of this. It was on account of, as a follower of Jesus, this is what God has called me to do. And that was causing them because they lived as those that are a part of a different kingdom. You know, I was thinking of that during worship and I saw a clip of uh, the church in Ukraine. I got some friends that are from there and have family and they're sitting there praying at this station and, and the church just singing and praying and they said that they're singing, they're asking for peace, but they're also asking for boldness. 
It was interesting. And it brought me, I was worshiping today as we were praying for Ukraine. I brought back to when the early church and the apostles, they're beaten and they're whipped and they're, they're warned never to speak in the name of Jesus. And they go and they don't pray for it to stop. They pray for boldness. And I always kind of wondered, as I watch what's going on around, could it be that they were more afraid of misrepresenting their heavenly kingdom than they ever were their safety in their earthly kingdom? And so their prayer was, God, yes, obviously, stop what's going on. But Lord, what would be most terrible, what would be most detrimental to me is that if I would ever to act out of my earthly, my flesh and my sin nature and misrepresent the home that I belong to in my kingdom nature, could that be why their prayer was boldness? At least that's what we see in writing. I'm sure they prayed for safety. Don't hear me when I'm not saying but what's recorded we see is what was of the utmost importance was God's strength in me to represent you and not myself. Boldness. And Paul's writing to a church, like I said, to paint this picture. And I think this verse in Philippians 1, 27 gives us kind of the why. This is, this is the goal and the hope. And Paul's talking about like, hey, listen, I'm in prison. It's probably better for me if I just die because then I go to be with Jesus. But it's probably better for you that I stay. It sounds like a leader was probably secure in his leadership. It's kind of weird. Like, well, it's way better for you if I'm here because you need me. But maybe I'm just reading my 21st century understanding of the Bible, which isn't always good. Uh, but he goes, hey, whatever happens, whether I'm here, whether I come, whether I don't, whether I die, whether you die, whatever's going to happen, there's a lot going on. You're not in control of what happens, whatever. You're not in control of whatever. Kind of encompasses everything. Whatever comes, whatever happens, whatever doesn't happen. The importance, the thing you do have control over. Conduct yourselves. Your words, your thoughts, your actions. Man, never before in the past couple months have I had to repent of the arguments that I have in my head or where my mind goes and wanting to defend myself and thoughts. And I just stop sometimes. I'm like, God, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm doing this again. What am I doing? I don't need to defend myself, God. My security's in you. Lord, let me, I need to conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, worthy of that. Conduct yourself in a way that is no way hampers the good news of Jesus to lost people. Conduct yourself in a way that how you, your values of your life, the values you stand for, the values that you are unwavering in are those of Jesus and his gospel, those that will matter in eternity. Conduct yourself in a way that you would stand firm, but also in a manner that represents your king. You know, you can stand for the right thing, but stand the wrong way. In a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus. And please hear me. The reason I said I'm preaching this, for the last year, the Lord has been kicking me over and over. He's, uh, he's kinder to you. But the Holy Spirit has been working me over because I don't get this right. Man, my flesh gets out. Man, I get frustrated. Man, I'm so in love with my own opinions sometimes. I'm going to remember that it's not the gospel. It's not Bible. That I need this humility. And so hear me. I'm inviting you into the scriptures that shape us, that cut the corners of our life like a two-edged sword, that help us be more like Jesus this morning. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul is saying this is our goal. And then he begins to illustrate a few things for us. He paints this picture of a new and better king. 
As someone who is under Rome and says, yes, the emperor is this way, but oh, we have a king in Jesus, and he's so much better. He paints a picture of a new and a better kingdom that doesn't operate the way Rome did, but operates the way that Jesus did, the kingdom and what it looks like to live a part of that. And then he begins to speak of the culture of which the king and his citizens are to operate. One of joy, one of unity, one of prayerfulness, of selflessness, of a community that is self-sacrificing. I love because he begins to paint with some different colors. And, and I really appreciate this about the book of Philippians and Paul. And he first color he begins to write, we see in chapter two, he just be like, Jesus is our example. And it's like the outline. I'm, I am assuming when people paint, they do like an outline, like the coloring books my daughter has. And then I get to come bring some color, hopefully. And then there's some other like fancy stuff that happens. That's like the shading. Remember in grade school when like the, the really artsy people could like bold outline and then light shade with the crayons and you try it and it just looks like a dumpster fire. But Paul's trying, he's doing this, right? And so like the outline, he goes, hey, it's Jesus. And he, and he uses this example, what it looks like. And he goes in this beautiful picture of humility that if there was ever someone who could be prideful, it was God, but he chose not to. Humbled himself into being a man and even more so a servant to all. We see this exemplified in Jesus as he watches the disciples' feet, as he submits himself even unto death. He goes, that's the outline. That's what we're aiming for. And the second color, he actually uses two guys, one you've heard of, one you probably don't even know how to pronounce. He goes, yes, Jesus is our example. And sometimes we stop there and we're like, well, he's God. I'm not. He goes, don't worry. Here's an example of two flawed, broken humanity people just like you who also did it in Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he begins to paint inside the lines of what it looks like to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And then thirdly, he kind of toots his own horn and says, follow me in my life and my example. And you can read that today later when you sit down, it's beautiful. But today I want to look at that second paint, two people that I think in today's day and age can offer us incredible hope, incredible direction. And I, and, and I appreciate this because in my family, I'm known as like the worst, most terrible storyteller. I just get so giddy and excited and I go like the start, the finish, the end, the back, the beginning, this and that. And what I appreciate my friend DJ is if you know DJ's out, he is the most prolific storyteller. Like he sits there and I just like, oh, I'm leaning in and, and, and he just, he knows how to do it and to draw some, and he drops these little hints in the story, but doesn't like fully get to it. So you're like, you're waiting for it. And I'm like, oh man, we're going to sell the deer. I shot the deer. Don't worry, it's coming. Uh, but then we're doing this, we're driving. Oh, no, 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 this. And I just terrible. And like my, my story's all out of whack and the beginnings and the end in the middle. I mean, that's what, at least what my family tells me. I still object. But this passage is kind of like that. This passage we're going to read, it's like Paul's going, then it's like, whoop, like someone copy and pasted in the wrong part of the letter. This should be the end, not the beginning. So much so that some scholars don't really know what to do with it. But I love, I was reading, Ellsworth says this. On the other hand, we also have to remember that there is another dynamic at work here as Paul is writing his letter in prison. While Paul is writing a letter, the Spirit of God was carrying him along to the point that his letter was the Word of God. While Paul himself then may not have intended these verses to continue the theme of how to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, we can see that the Spirit of God so ordered them in a way that Timothy and Epaphroditus become models of the mind of Christ, examples. They bring color to the picture that Paul is drawing. 
And our bottom line for today is when the source of our life, not just the things that enable us to breathe and take your next breath, we get that, but the things that we look to for provision, the things we allow to shape us, the, the, the thing that you would give your allegiance to above all else. So when the source of our life is rooted in Jesus, there's a beautiful thing that happens. We are then actually free to live our lives, no longer slaves to sin, but free in Christ, slaves to Christ. We are free to live in service of others for the sake of the gospel. And we see this is what Paul begins to talk about. First, first up is Timothy. Chapter two, verse 19 says this. Since I hope in the Lord Jesus to send you Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Again, they knew Timothy from a decade ago. He was part of the church plant team. Says, I have no one else like him. He's going to talk about Epaphroditus, who's also there right after this. Kind of a slight on him, maybe. But I have no one else like Timothy who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests. And your old way of living, your old way of life was protect me, my own interests. He goes, that's the culture and the world we live in. And they don't, not those of Jesus Christ, not the interests of Jesus, but their own. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will be coming soon. We see that Acts 16 actually lets us know that the church knew Timothy. And remember, Paul is painting a picture of what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven, not of Rome. And how we are to operate, not just in our heart and what we believe, but our interactions with people, that our beliefs should change our actions, that our orthodoxy should change our orthopraxy, that what we believe to be true about the Bible must and has to shape how we interact with people. Paul gives us an example of what the previous verses that we talked about, to live a man, life of manner, the worthy of the gospel, look like to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, to live in unity and humility like we talked about in Jesus. And Timothy is our first example. He highlights that he has genuine concern for others' welfare and the interests of Christ. And that's not in a chronological order of importance. He's just saying that you can't, as a follower of Jesus, your interests of others, your love for Jesus has to lead to your interest and your concern for the well-being of those around you that you can't do that, and vice versa, that caring for those around you, it's also done in the interests of Jesus. Jesus came not to serve, but to be served. Jesus came to make a way for those who are lost and broken back to the Father. So as people who follow Jesus, our interests and our concerns and the well-being of people must be grounded in us being people who proclaim and take the gospel to hurt and lost and broken people who do not yet know Jesus. That's, that's part of it. It's also learning about treating our brothers and sisters in Christ as Jesus did in this community, how we learn to walk in unity. See, Paul's trying to communicate that life in the kingdom needs to be a life characterized by selflessness. And I hate that. Because I'm just not good at it. When you look at a group picture that you're in, who's the first person you look to? If you said someone else, it's okay. Jesus knows. 
<laughs> right? Like we're just, we're wired in our broken humanity. We're wired to think of self first. Jesus says, if you followed me, that's, that's all taken care of because you've already died, remember? You're no longer living. As a guy who hunts and has taken the life of animals, I've never seen one that has died that then defends itself. Yet the struggle with our humanity, as Romans says, we are living sacrifices, which means at any point in time, you have the option to get up off that altar and stop being a sacrifice. But Jesus invites us to live dead to self, but alive in Christ and for others. You see, this would not have been a characteristic that would have been highly esteemed in the Roman kingdom at all. Like selflessness, love for others. It's like, no, uh, agree with me or we'll kill you. And then we'll light the road to Rome with Christians as human candles. This was the culture that they were in. Selflessness, humility were not virtues. But Paul says it's actually essential in Christ's kingdom. Selflessness, to live in a state of being where you are more concerned with the interests of Christ's that leads us to caring about the well-being of others. They're connected, indivisible. You're more concerned about the interests of Christ and the well-being of your brothers and sisters and those outside of this room than you are of your own interests and your own well-being. See, I feel like at church, we get that this is important and we do our best to exemplify this, but we do have our limits. And I've heard it in, in conversations. I've heard it in my own life, in my conversation with my wife saying, should we do this? Can we do this? What should we do? And, and we'll be concerned about your well-being as long as my own well-being is first secured. I'll help you as long as I am helped. I'll be empathetic towards you as long as you are empathetic towards me. And as soon as we start being treated in a way that we don't like, we actually remove our efforts. And sometimes it's a lack of, we think it's a lack of ability to do what's right because what's wrong is being done to us. I'll be concerned with the interests of Christ and his church as long as I still get to spend time on my own interests. See, maybe this is just me and I'm just, this is just, hey, look how terrible Pastor Daniel is today and y'all are good. But I'm a guy who really loves my hobbies and I've had to pray over the last year a couple times saying, Lord, are you at, am I spending too much time on these? Because at the end of the day, I want to know that my life mattered for your kingdom. So if going on another hunting trip is going to take away from the kingdom purpose you have for me, God, take it away. I give it to you. Own interest of Christ in his kingdom. See, I believe that we have allowed sometimes a postmodern philosophy to sneak into our understanding of how we are to live as followers of Jesus. The cultural belief tells us that we should be caring to others, but never to the point that it would cause you and your needs not to be met or depleted. Right? And the saying is just love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. I've heard it preached and taught before, but like, but to love your neighbor as yourself, you need to first learn and love and accept yourself. Funny that they didn't say that in the Bible. They didn't seem to see that as necessary. You know, please don't hear what I'm not saying. But Jesus was very intentional with the word of God that he wrote through men in this way. You see, I can care about others' well-being to the degree that my well-being is cared for. 
But Jesus paints a different picture of a very different kingdom. You see, one where we are called to be loved by God and in turn, love God and love for others the same way God loves us. We're called to love, receive God's love and love him. And Jesus says, you need to treat others the way that you just received love from me. Great. So I love God, receive love, and I'm called to love others that way. Nowhere in it does it say you got to love others and then learn to have real good self-esteem and love yourself and then love those the same way that you're at right now. That's very limiting because I don't love myself sometimes. I struggle with a lot sometimes. You know what I can do? You know what is unchanging? God's love for me. And I'm called to extend that same unchanging, same unwavering love to you and you to me to those outside this wall. And it's interesting that if we were to have a community of people, a kingdom, a culture that was so enamored by the love of God and was just committed enough to love others the way that God has loved them, all of a sudden you become the other to someone else. And all of a sudden your needs get met. And I can't think of a more beautiful picture that would show this world that there's something beyond the world that they know to live of people that know how to live selflessly because they trust a God enough to say, I'm gonna care for others. And I'm gonna be in a community of key people that are, are, are identified by their commitment to love me the way that Christ loved them, even when I don't deserve it, even when I wrong them, even how we handle conflict. Say when you sin, say, well, they didn't come to me. Bible doesn't really give. Hey, if you know you sinned, go to them. If you, they hurt you, go to you. That's love that Jesus came to us long before we went to him to apologize for being sinful and, and putting him on the cross. He died for us first and then came to us. And he says, hey, I'm just expecting you to do the exact same thing I did for you. Paul's painting a picture in Timothy of this. When we are a community, and, and please hear me, I'm, I'm not young and naive to think this is just super easy and none of us heard this before. I'm like, oh, light bulb, now we can just all be great. I understand the impossibility of this apart from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's the life of Jesus we're called to, friends. What a beautiful picture and witness. Paul paints Timothy as an example of someone who has their joy, their peace, their hope, their security rooted in Jesus, far out of reach of anything that can happen in this world and this life. Not in what this world has to offer. And this liberated Timothy to live a life in service of others and their well-being because his well-being was sealed with Christ, untouchable by the persecution and the trials that this world could cook up against him. Beautiful yet so far out of reach of the reality that I live in my own life every day. See, when the source of our life is rooted in Jesus, we are free to live our lives in the service of others for the sake of the gospel. Really quick, Epaphroditus, apparently not as good as Timothy, but he's still good because he made it here. Right after that, verse 25, says, but I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. My brother, my co-worker, and my fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, who you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was, almost died, but for the mercy, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, 
I'm all the more eager to send him. He's probably the one carrying this letter back to the church of Philippi. So that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in. Uh, welcome him in the Lord and with great joy, honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves could not give me. So he brought a gift and there's a lot of fun background as to what Paul is talking about. But the church had sent Epaphroditus with a gift, most likely money, but also as the gift. He was the type of person that when he came, the people who were receiving him were glad that he came. When that phone call rang and it saw Epaphroditus on the call display, Paul was pumped to pick up his iPhone and and talk to Epaphroditus. You see, in verse 29 and 30, Paul continues to paint this picture for us as an example of what life conducted in a manner worthy of the gospel looks like. It's that he almost died for the work of Christ. What I don't think Paul is trying to highlight is people going up like, turn or burn, kill me if you need to. Like, I don't, I don't really think that. Like, some are like, I would die for Christ. And I remember my youth pastor saying, well, will you live for him, please? Like, no, you're willing to die for him, but would you be willing to live like him? Uh, like, and that was just zealous 13-year-old Daniel. But I don't think he's saying that. I said, what I do think Paul is, is praising It's the type of person that realized that as a follower of Jesus, your primary concern in life is meant to be Jesus and his gospel and the furtherance of his gospel to people who don't know him yet. For the sake, he was willing to lose his life for the sake of the gospel. There was nothing more important to Epaphroditus than people hearing about the good news of Jesus that had changed his life. And in in verse 25, Paul uses three brushstrokes that I think we can learn from Epaphroditus. Number one, he calls him brother. This was a Jew and a Greek relationship. In the church all around the world at this time, there was some friction between these two people. There was some elitism. There was some different thought processes, although there should not have been. But Paul says, brother. He says that he didn't allow the differences in us that are not eternal in mattering to bring division to the unity that's meant to be in the gospel. St. Augustine said it this way, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. If you were to think of the conversations you've had, the frustrations, the relationships that you're not sure if you want to text them back because you're a little bit upset with them. Is that going to matter in eternity? That's what, that's what Augustine means by inessentials. Unity. My father-in-law, who's one of the mentors and hero of my life, he said, Daniel, he's taught the Bible for 45 years. He said, Daniel, the longer I preach and study the word of God, the fewer non-negotiables I have. And I realize that there's a lot of people who love Jesus who think differently than me. And in the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. And in how we conduct ourselves, always in charity. Paul said, he's my brother. Different than me, might think differently, but brother. He says, co-worker. My brother and co-worker. He's invested in building the new kingdom. He's not a bystander. He's not a cheerleader, nor a critic. 
but one who understands that to follow Jesus means to no longer follow self or sit on the sidelines just to receive. To be alive in Christ means to be dead to self. To no longer be a slave to sin means you are a slave to Jesus. Epaphroditus knew that his faith must dictate his life at personal cost, might I add. He was a coworker. He understood that if Jesus had saved me, as long as I have breath, I have a job to do. I'm going to be involved. I'm part of the body. I'm needed. I'm going to do my part. And I'm going to bring it in essentials, unity. And in different, in, in, in things that are non-essential, that stuff like that, there's going to be liberty and there's going to be charity. That's how I'm going to do. And lastly, it says fellow soldier. Elena, if you want to jump up on the keys. Fellow soldier. It's really, there's, there's a lot packed into why Paul used this term. Again, a colonial city, a lot of soldiers. But in 2 Timothy 2, 3 to 4, Paul, he's writing to Timothy. He says this, he says, join with me in suffering. What a crazy thing to write. Can you imagine like, hey, Pastor Daniel, can you disciple me? Awesome. Join with me in my suffering. I'll find someone else, right? <laughs> this is Paul. Join with me in my suffering. Like a good soldier of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled with civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer, the one who enlisted him in the first place. Talk about laying one person's life and goals down like a soldier who detaches themselves from the cares and the worries of life. We too are called to do the same so that we are free to focus on others and the gospel. While you are still looking out for your own interests, you are a slave to that and no longer free to look out for the interests of others. While we are still finding our source of joy in the things we wanna do and being able to make the money we wanna make or have the life we wanna make or everyone accepting my opinion, while that is still pertinent for your joy, while that is still pertinent for your pleasure. Well, that is still pertinent for your calling and your purpose. You are still a slave to the things of this world and you have yet to be fully liberated to make your life about other people. Jesus made his life on this earth about you so you no longer have to. He dealt with that. He dealt with sin. He rose again. He offers you and he offers me a life free of self and full of Jesus and full of others. Daniel, that's a little extreme. Right before this, Paul's saying, hey, Jesus didn't claim to be God, emptied himself, came as a man, furthermore, served man, died on a cross because he knew his purpose was tied up in the one who enlisted him as his father. He was more concerned that I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear my father saying. And I've had to come to Jesus, get on my knees and repent because in the last year I've said plenty of things my father would have never said. I have posted many of things that my father would never have posted. I have written emails that my father would never have written. I have thought things that my father would never entertain in his mind because they're temporary, because they don't matter in eternity, because they're not about his kingdom. And I gotta come to Jesus and say, Father, forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm still a lover of self more than I am of your kingdom. I'm so aware of that. Paul writes us a picture. And in a moment, this seems so helpless and impossible to live this way. 
It's not only did Jesus do it, Timothy and Epaphroditus did as well, which lets me know that there's hope for me and there's hope for you, friends, to live a life in the manner that is worthy of the gospel. The love that's been shown to you and to me. Why? Not just to keep the peace, because there is a world around us that desperately needs to see love in flesh. They have heard about a God who is loves, but they have seen people that look anything like it and it has left them disillusioned. I have family members that sit in my living room and say, see, look at those Christians. That's why I don't go to church. And yes, there's a lot to that. No, we're not perfect. And I can remind them that I know a plumber that murdered someone, so we don't write off every plumber in the world, right? Like there's some apologetics that are a little bit out of whack there. But oh my God, I hope the people, my neighbors, when they overhear the conversations that I have, I hope they're more aware of Jesus. Not my opinion, not what frustrates me. See, Jesus is the picture of this for us. The culture would say, try and think about others, but the kingdom of God says, no longer think about yourself. You know that group picture I talked about? Every time I'm in a group picture, first thing I look at is me, and if I like it, if we need to do a retake. But you know what happens when I look at a group picture that I'm not in? I'm free to just appreciate the friendships. Free to say, wow, that's a great picture. Insecurities are no longer telling me that this isn't beautiful. Insecurities are no longer saying this isn't right. I need to redo this. But because I've removed myself from consideration, I'm free to appreciate the beauty that is before me. And Jesus invites you to do the same. The kingdom of God is those who have died to self, slaves to Christ, unworthy, undeserving recipients of a scandalous grace that we not only receive, but have the call to live out to extend to other people. So I'd like to pray, if you're able and willing today, would you stand to your feet? Those online, stay with me. I've shared all my dirty laundry in this message, so you know I need some repenting. I know all of us have areas where maybe we just need to repent. If you're new, maybe you got invited today, can I let you know that the Jesus we've been talking about, the life we've been calling to live, you don't need to fix yourself to be good enough for his love. He gave it to you first. And I'm telling you, there is a life that is where you breathe easy where it is light, where it is more fulfilling than you could ever imagine when you follow Jesus and you're free of being the Lord of your own life and you're free to follow the King who has enlisted you. That's you today. I wanna encourage you, talk to someone today. I'm simply gonna pray that God does something in your heart. Maybe he's been stirring and you know God's been doing something if you don't know Jesus. If you came by yourself, I'll be up here. 
come talk to me. You might be able to see baby Wyatt as well. If someone brought you, ask them about this. Say, what's my next step? And Jesus, I pray right now, Father, Lord, you went first in living selflessly for me. You went first with your love. You went first looking the accusers and your executioners in the eye and you did it with love and for them. God, you set the standard for us. And Lord, I pray for those who don't know you in this place, God, that they would be bold enough to receive that scandalous, beautiful love of grace. And for the rest of us today, I wanna take a minute, 60 seconds. I want you to close your eyes. For some of you, you're well aware of what you need to ask Jesus to forgive you of. Ways where you've spoken out of flesh rather than out of love. We're simply just gonna take again, if I have one goal in life is to normalize repentance. It's not a scary thing, it's not a shameful thing, it's the beautiful gift, grace that God has given us to come to a father, not fearful, but boldly to say, God, I messed up, would you help me? What a beautiful picture of the cross. 60 seconds, just ask the Lord where your life has not been in line and not been living, you have not been living in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. What is the Lord putting his finger on in your life today? Let's listen. Those online, those in the room. putting something on mind. Don't let it be in your mind. Let this under your breath out loud. Just say, God, I, I confess this is my sin. God, I confess arrogance is my sin. I confess pride. I confess covetousness. I confess jealousy. Whatever it is, hate, frustration. God, would you forgive me? Confession and repentance. Powerful things. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, and would you put your hands out just in a posture of receiving today? I hope you're as well aware as I am that this is impossible to do apart from the empowerment of Jesus. He was not only our example, he is our source to live a life this way. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come. We echo the prayer of the early church, say, come Holy Spirit, would you fill us afresh? Would you empower us to live in light of and by your love and your grace? God, the areas where we wanna get up off that altar, where we wanna no longer sacrifice, where we wanna look out for the, our own interests and our own benefits, God, would you show us your love again? Would your grace that is strong to empower come and enable us to be your bride, to walk in unity, to walk in the grace and the love that this world desperately needs.
in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.